So let us learn a little Das Taira tonight. Um, we're going to learn the piece on page Kuf Pei Beis. Vayaretz lekrosoi vechabek That this is when Yaakov Avinu arrives by the house of Lavan. Lavan runs out and uh, to greet him. He hugs him and he kisses him. And Rashi famously says, why is he giving him such a big Shalom Aleichem? Vayaretz lekrosoi. He thought that he had a lot of money on him because he remembered Eliezer Evan Avram, the, the servant of Avram, came laden with gifts for his for Rivka and for his sister Rivka. So he assumed, oh, this is uh, this is this is Yaakov, Rivka's son. Imagine how many gifts he brought. So he ran out and. Um, of course, he didn't have any gifts on him. He didn't have any money on him. Why? Because Eliphaz came and mugged him on the way uh, to, Esau, to, to the house because Esau sent him to kill him, but he convinced Eliphaz to take his money and an Ani is Chashav Kimei. So uh, that, uh, that was how Yaakovina's life was saved. But in the process, he didn't have any money to bring or any gifts to bring to um, his future family, as Eliezer brought. So Rashi says, Vayichabek, klum, when, El- when Yaakov saw, when Lavan saw that he did not have any, anything on him, like first he frisked him with a, with a hug, he saw he had no money to take there, so then, so he hugged him. There was no silver, there was no gold there. By kissed him. Why did he kiss him? is Maybe he's bringing pearls, and uh, and the pearls are in are in his mouth. So And then he told the whole story to Lavan how all of his money was taken by Eliphaz. So this is the picture that we're painting of Lavan. Lavan is a really bad guy. Uh, and, you know, sometimes you question, when you see these psukim, like, why is the Pasuk so, um, you know, why, why is it uh, um, villainizing Lavan? Like, maybe, let's take the, the Pshuta Shalmikra. Can we just assume that maybe Lavan wasn't that bad a guy Maybe actually just wanted to hug him. He was a long, he was a relative. Right? What was Yaakov Avinu to Lavan was his uncle. So maybe just honestly, honest to goodness, wanted to give him a hug, wanted to give him a kiss. Why does everything always have to be like twisted and turned and made into a diabolical plot against, you know, he's kissing him to find pearls in his mouth and he's hugging him to, 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 to pickpocket his, his, any money that he might have in his pocket. It doesn't always like sit well with everybody, right? That the the, the chazal are like almost distorting the pshutoshem and pshutoshem mikro. So, so what happened is so this is exactly what your what Rabbi Rucham is coming to uh, focus on this evening. He says, ni ki kan lefanai. He says, I know a lot of you guys that are sitting in front of me are probably like a little cynical, a little questioning 
about this Chazal that Rashi is bringing, and it doesn't sit well with them. You don't, you don't believe it. You don't believe it. Who is sitting in front of Rabbi Rucham? These weren't, I, we said this already many times, this wasn't like the Litvisha guys, the, the Polish, you know, B'nai Taira that were like, that were dyed in the wool, you know, from, from these, were, these were the Westerners. He gave this shear to people that were from Western Europe, from Germany, maybe from England, from France, maybe America, a few Americans here and there. So he was dealing with a different mentality, and he knew that Westerners think very differently than Eastern European. Eastern European, Makabal, the Hasidim, the Litvish, they, you know, they just basically, Chazal say it, it's Tarmisina, that's it, we don't question it. But he knew, or maybe he saw on their faces that they weren't so pleased. There was a little bit of a, of you know, some shuffle in their, uh, in the way they were sitting in their seats. When you hear these uh, very, you know, these these chazalim that are that are saying such far fetched things about lavan and kissing and pearls, and he says, I know that you guys don't like what you're hearing. I know that you think that it doesn't sit well in the pshuta shlomikra. So he says, in our places, again, he's talking to Western Europeaners and, and people from the Western part of the world, and he says, in our places, meaning in Eastern Europe, there's a lot of, uh, we speak about a story about a Gilgal in Navardic. Now, I spoke about this in the Shmuz on this past Friday, for those of you that may have uh, been there, and that there was a, a, a Gilgal that possessed a girl in Navardic. Navardic is a city that's not far from Vilna, and there was a, a Dibuk. I'm sure we all know what a Dibuk is, right? Dibuk is basically like a, like a spirit of some sort, a demon maybe, that moves in and possesses people's bodies. And it's very hard to get them out. Once they take over, it's very hard to get them out. And you still, even nowadays, there are, you, you see once in a while, there are cases of uh, like a nice girl, all of a sudden, boom, she has like a very deep voice and there are people, Makubalim, that have to come. You ever see these, like they have videos, if you, if you uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but it, what? It's very scary. So, um, so there was... Go- I'm sorry. Yeah, you, I, yeah. There, there happens still today. I've seen it. I, mean, I don't know if it's legit. I can't vouch for its legitimacy, but there's definitely. I remember a few years ago, um, there was videos of a person of a of a girl. I think that was possessed, and they had like Mikubalim come in and try to it's you know. Possessed by some kind of spirit. Yeah, it's possessed. Like they they just totally take over somebody's body for however they get into the body somehow and. Uh, and then you can't get them out unless you really know some heebie-jeebie stuff to get them out. So, so there was, this happened in the time of the Vilna Gain, that there was a Dibuk or a Gilgal that came into, a, uh, into somebody's body in the city of Navardik. So this was a very tenacious uh, Dibuk. Did not want to get out of the body of this person whatsoever. But as soon as it was mentioned to this Dibuk that he would be, that we're going to take you to, uh, to the Vilna Gain 
and uh, the Vilna Gain, you know, will do his thing with you, then the Dibbuk started going crazy. And he started, the, the Dibbuk started like screaming and crying. And it was like weeping bitter tears just at the, at the mere name of the Vilna Gain, the mention of his name. Even just, he didn't even, the Vilna Gain wasn't even there. In fact, the Vilna Gain said, I don't want to go, I'm not, I'm not interested. Like they asked the Vilna Gain, would you go and, and help us get the, this, this Dibbuk out of the body? He says, no. He says, I think he said, I'm not going near this, I don't, I don't want to go near Toma. And, and he refused. In the end, I think he said that to tell them that he should go out, and I think he went out. But he did not want to go anywhere near the Toma. But the mention of the Vilna Gain's name itself put this uh, put this Dibuk in uh, in really serious uh, panic mode. Why? Because Toma ain't a sevelas When you have Toma, Toma is not able to tolerate kedusha. That's the cloud. When you have Toma, Toma cannot stand kedusha. When there's no kedusha. Now Toma has a chance to do its thing. We were speaking about this by Shalashudis uh, this past Shabbos, about how uh, the Kotzkers vard about that when Yaakov Avinu took the brachas from Esav, it says, Vayihi, ach, yotza, yotza, Yaakov, me'es p'nei aviv, that as soon as Yaakov Avinu got the brachas and he, he left he exited stage right from Yitzchak Avinu. Then it says, "Vihine Esav ba." Esav came from the other door, like in a like as if it was like a Broadway show. You know, you have one person leaving, and the other person just at that second come. The second the other that Yitzchak leaves, Yaakov leaves, Esav comes, and uh, and then the rest of the story unfolds. And the Kotzker says that what does this symbolize? It symbolizes. Kedusha and Toma. Yaakov Avinu represents Kedusha. Esav represents Toma. When, when Kedusha leaves, when, it leave, when, when there's no Kedusha of Chas Hashem, there's, let's say, a vacuum of Kedusha, then, then Esav jumps into the fray. When there's, when there's Kedusha in the room, when Yaakov's in the room, Esav can't come in. Because Esav is very... Toma cannot, like we said, be slave Kedusha. But when Esav does, when Yaakov leaves, now there's a vacuum of Kedusha, now the Toma jumps right into that vacuum. And that's what we were talking about, Vashal Shudas, how um, that's why Matzai Shabbos is such a very dangerous time in the world, not just for B'nai Taira, but in the whole world. Matzai Shabbos is a time of extreme uh, Toma. If you ever, you know... There's, everyone's doing crazy stuff. Matzai Shabbos is when people are partying and they do crazy stuff and there's concerts and there's movies and there's, uh, you know, and bars and this, uh, clubs. Everybody's doing crazy stuff, Matzai Shabbos. Now, the Balabatish reason for it, okay, that's, they're, they're, they're off. They've off, they have money, they got their paycheck and now tomorrow's Sunday, they can sleep late, they can have hangovers. But the truth is that the reason that the whole world goes crazy is because... There was Shabbos in the world. Shabbos is an intense kedusha that permeates every every centimeter of space in in the world. And then Shabbos leaves. 
when Shabbos leaves, now there's a vacuum of Kedusha in the world. And now the Tumah has its, its place to party. Now the Tumah starts coming out. And that's why it's very important for B'nai Taira to try to, you know, first of all, Hasidim, let's say, they, they keep Shabbos very late. The, the, you know, the Rebbe will give long Shalashudas Taira, and then it'll go straight into Havdalah, and then Malava Malka, they'll have a whole night of, of Kedusha to do because they want to keep the Tumah at bay. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're also, we have that, I think a lot of us have that feeling on Matzai Shabbos after Abdullah, you know, okay, now let's, uh, let's party, let's do something, we've got to go somewhere, we've got to go bowling, we've got to, you know, we've got we to do something, something. So it's important to, on Matzai Shabbos to be very aware of this, because when there's no Kedusha, when the Kedusha departs, then the Tummo automatically starts coming. And this isn't true only for Shabbos, it's also true for our brains. If you could look at our brains like a, like a stage, like the stage that we were talking about, the Akav and Esav, so if there is Kedusha in our brains, so then the Tumah doesn't come in. The Rambam writes this. The Rambam says at the end of Hilchus um, Yisurei Bia, all the way at the end, he writes that She'en, um, that there's She'en Machsheves Arayas, the the machshava the herhuria vera all of the fantasies of of arayas of isha some things like that only comes believe haponim minachachma when your mind and your heart is vacuous of chachma meaning when we're not into learning when we're not filled with with tyra when we're not thinking about tyra so then our minds are like a stage without any kedusha, and into our minds start jumping all types of crazy thoughts and erurim and taivas, and, and we want to see things and we want to go places, we have to experience things, but that's only when our mind is, is empty of kedusha. If we fill our minds with taira, if we're able to, like, let's say at night, before we go to sleep, instead of looking at, uh, at YouTube, instead of, uh, you know, reading like stuff that we shouldn't necessarily be reading, if we're able to like learn a Musar Sefer or Bimavar Sedra or, or Chazar Gemara or, or listen to a shear of some sort then, and fall asleep that way, then there's a far better chance that we'll be able to succeed in having a, a normal good kosher a night. But it's when we, when we don't have that, when our minds are, are full of uh, tumma or they're just empty, they're just not thinking, then into our brain starts jumping Esav. And so going back to Rabbi Rucham, he says that you can't have, you can't have um, Toma uh, and Kedusha together. Toma cannot be Saivo Kedusha. And that's why the Dibuk. Uh, didn't want to hear the name of the guy. And as soon as he heard the name of the guy, it started freaking out because, because the guy, just the, the word, the Vilna guy, had such intense kedusha to the Dibuk that it couldn't handle it. Toma can't handle, it can't stand kedusha. He says, unfortunately, all of us also suffer a little bit. We have a little bit of this Navarda Gilgal inside of us. We all have that Toma a little bit inside of us that can't stand hearing any Kedusha. And Ein Yechayim Lispo Bekeres Kharifa Kazu Al Arav and Naisav. Ein Yechayim Makabal Atara Dvarm Kipshutam. 
כי תוכן אשר בחייבי של האדם תמוד פחיסה שפלה כזו. Because he says that if you go deep inside of us, every single one of us has a very dark, um, unholy place. It might not be, you know, in the, in, on the front burners of our, of our minds and our hearts, but if you dig a little deep, we all have a Yetzirah, and we all have a little bit of that guilt, that Dibbuk, that when you hear the Vilna Gain's name, you start like lashing out a little bit on a very, on a very, very deep surface, deep level. And so that's why he says, we don't have this ability to listen to a Chazal and totally accept it. Because, whoa, 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 why, why are you speaking badly about Lavan? Maybe Lavan wasn't such a bad guy. Why are you incriminating Esav? Why are you incriminating Amalek? Why are you, you know, what, what do you have with them? Why are we defending these people? Why are we so interested in like, being politically correct all of a sudden when it comes to Rishayim? The answer is because we don't like um, indicting Ra so much because we have a little bit of Ra inside of us. So it's, we, we instinctively try to like almost sugarcoat and whitewash even what Rishayim are doing because we want to sort of protect that, that bad that we have within. If that makes sense. We also have something deep down inside of us that's a little dark. Well, you know, you're going to say, well, at least be Danim Lakavskos. Why are you, like, right away assuming that Lovin was so bad? Like, keep him, you know, maybe he's okay. When it comes to bad people, he says, there's not such a mitzvah always to be politically correct. Sometimes the mitzvah to indict. Meaning there's a time to, to try to put a good spin on things. If you see Stam a person, person has cheskas kashras, so you want to try to always... Uh, play devil's advocate and be and make sure that you know we're we're seeing all the good. That's very good. That's what we should be doing. We should be down the katzvos. But when it comes to bad people, so we have to stop like always, you know, instinctively trying to like look for good. A lot of times we have people in our lives that you know they're just not good people. Not I'm not saying family members necessarily, but there are people that I think we could all maybe think of that. They're just not good people. But we always insist on like, oh, we have to try to don them l'kavzchos. It's not always so healthy to be don everybody l'kavzchos. Sometimes a person is not good. They're not good. Not to, you don't have to speak Lashonara about the person, but it's important sometimes to, at least in our minds, be able, to, it's okay to say that this person is not a good person. This person is a toxic person. They might be good for other people, but for me, they're not good. Because if you don't say that, then you start accepting and bringing in everybody into your life, and sometimes toxic people could destroy a person's life. Sometimes you have people in your life that are really bad, and, but we're so busy always trying to find the best in everybody that, that we keep them near when we should really be pushing them far away. And I, grew, I, I told you, I think, uh, maybe last week, two weeks ago, how... Rav Huttner used to say that, and I heard, I heard this from the Rebbe that Rav Huttner told this to. You know, if you look in the Hasidic Shasvarim, it says that Esav, 
he wasn't like a, a big Russia, like we, like we all immediately associate him to be. Uh, you know, I think the, the big Hasidic Rebbe said that Esav, if you would see Esav, he, does, he didn't look like a Russia, like a guy with a bow and arrow and like a hunting jacket and like a rifle and like looking to blow people away. He looked like if you would see, if we would be able to go back in time and see Esav, you'd be surprised how, how from he looked. He looked like a Hasidic rabbi. He had a big streimel. He had long, beautiful payas. He had a long white beard. And he had a, a tishbeker. So this is what the Hasidic, uh, you know, Svarim say. The Svarim Akadashim. Really, holy books say this. But he was misguided. He was very misguided. But he wasn't as, as like, extremely bad. And, like, it wouldn't be openly, apparently clear. Listen, Yitzchak was fooled by him. So Yitzchak was, Yitzchak was Yitzchak Avinu. Who are we talking about? It wasn't, we weren't not talking about fooling some like, we're talking about fooling Yitzchak. Obviously Yaakov had a lot, uh, Esav had a lot going for him. When he asked Kashas, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't Klutzkash. Everybody saw he had to, had to take Meiser from salt. Oh, you know, it's a silly question. If you look in the time of the Kerb, Chaim Kanievsky, he has like a few whole columns explaining the lumdus of what Esav was really asking. He wasn't asking stupid questions. Esav was Esav, you know, Halavai, in a, in a thousand years we should be able to learn a Taisus like Esav knew how to learn a Taisus. Esav learned by Yitzchak Avinu. Esav learned by Avram Avinu. I mean, if we would, I told you, if we would be living within a 500 mile radius of Avram Avinu, we would all be like, uh, um, you know, what? Incinerated, exactly. The, what? Disintegrated. In, disintegrated. Also, that, you know, we, we would be, uh, you know, would be, we wouldn't be able to stay in it. But Esav was able to just like be in the mechitzas of of, so, so this rabbi asked Rav Hutner if maybe like he should tone down. He's like teaching Yeshiva Ktana in like in you know early grades. Maybe like instead of making Esav like the bad guy and Yaakov the tzaddik, maybe like just like you know maybe like make them both tzaddik. But one is like a little firmer than the other or something. So Rav Hutner was very very um, insistent that to keep the to keep the figure, the caricature of, of Esau bad and Yaakov good. Not that, there, you know, not that that was necessarily the reality, but at least in a child's mind, it should be the, 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 the split between Yaakov and Esau should be extremely crisp and clear and contrasted. There shouldn't be any, any gray area because children don't understand gray. They understand black, they understand white, but gray is very hard for, for us to understand. So, and the same thing is true with Lavan. Lavan was, you know, he was, he was probably a lot better than we understand him to be. Um, I think there's an Arachayim HaKadosh that says that, that when, uh, when he first came out to, um, you know, when Rivka was by the well and he came out to see Eliezer, so he was, he was very good. He was acting very well. It says... Um, he proves it from a different, a few different ways. But basically, Lovin had his, his good points also. But in terms of us, when we are looking at Lovin or an Aesop today, we don't, we should not be politically correct. We should not be, we have to like the child in us should really reign supreme and say, no, Aesop is bad. Lovin is bad. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The Pasuk says that he hugged him. He kissed him. Maybe he's a good guy. That's because we're instinctively always trying to make nice with, with bad people for whatever the reason, the psychological reason is. But sometimes it's important that if there's a bad person to try to make him bad, it's fine. 
And when you, when you do that, it's, it's sometimes it's very healthy. I know there's you know, people in all of our lives, I could think of a few in my own life, that you always try to make, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing to, to, to try to keep people close to you, and, but sometimes it's not. There are people in life that are sometimes very toxic, and because you're always trying to like, you know, make, them, make nice to them, they continuously abuse you and berate you, and it's a very unhealthy process. So sometimes it's important to push people away. Sometimes it's important to be Makari people. But you have to like, ask a gadol or something that, you know, to make sure that the people that you should be Makari, you're being Makari, the people that are not good for you to be with, let's speak, let's, let's talk about family first. Let's talk about friends. Sometimes we have friends that we went to high school with, and in high school they were, they were good friends of ours. But they went in one direction, we went in the other direction. I remember when I was a kid growing up, I, this didn't happen to me between high school and base matters, it happened to me between elementary school and high school. And I had, I had one very good friend in particular, and we were very friendly, like throughout from maybe fifth grade till eighth grade, we were like best friends, and we did everything together. And then, and then I went to a very shivish high school, and he went to a very modern high school, but I still was friendly with him even afterwards for a while. But after a while, I, you know, I, I, he was a good guy. He wasn't a bad, evil guy, but he just, like, it wasn't good when I was around him. I didn't feel, I was on a certain trajectory, and I felt like he was sort of, you know, he was a friend that I had, and I have nice memories, but now I have to, like, I, I need to, like, swim on my own. I can't, I can't be bogged down anymore. And there was a point that, you know, I just said, I didn't say anything, but I just sort of, you know, jettisoned away from him because I, I felt that, it wasn't good for me to be around him. We all have people like that, that it's, you don't have to be rude and insensitive and say, you're not my friend anymore. Obviously, you don't have to do that. That would be not smart. But to sort of, you know, make clear for yourself, instead of justifying everybody's behavior and always, you know, trying to, to make nice with everybody and you have to be super popular and everybody has to be your friend, it's not always the case. Sometimes if you have bad people in life, it's okay to call a spade a spade, and you don't have to be malamitzchus on everybody. Person's bad, then let them be bad, but they're not. You don't have to deal with them, and the more you deal with them, the more dangerous it'll be. Yes, ma'am. Sorry. Sorry. Um, in regards to loving, we quantified him as a wicked person because of how he treated Yaakov when he originally came. But we see that people are influenced by money all the time. If we're going to quantify him as a wicked person because of his reaction to Yaakov potentially having a lot of money. Uh, it, but that, I mean, that was just the first thing. And then he was a rabbi with a million other things, right? Right. But this is like the initial, the initial introduction to Lavan is that he was hugging him and kissing him. Rashi right away, you know, before we even get to the, the things that the Torah says, but Farish that he did bad to, right, to Yaakov, that he fooled him with Leah, with this, with a constantly, right, with a sheep, and everything was always a, a game with him. But he hugged him again. Let's 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 you know people like well, let's. Why do we have to ruin it? Like let him be a good guy at this point. Why do you have to right away make him bad? But where, but where did Chazal? I mean, obviously by Rivka. Where did Chazal get the preconceived notion that Lavan was a that Lavan was a wicked person before this? And this is what Stato was saying. Yes, he tricked with Rachel and Leah. Right. But where did I mean, we know already from Besuel, you know, with Eliezer, he tried to kill him and things like that. We know that Lavan was not a good guy. Everybody knew that. And Rashi brings that many times until now. But Rabbi Rucham is basically, you know, he's trying to deal with our Western mentality. 
There was a, a great story that's told about Rabbi Yerucham, the same Rabbi Yerucham that Rabbi Schwab, um, Rabbi Shimon Schwab, when he was a, a bacher, he learned by Rabbi Yerucham in the mirror. They're very close, and before, before uh, every Yantif, so Rabbi Yerucham had a gemach, like a loan, a free loan fund, and you'd go to him, and like if you, let's say, lived in Germany, where Rabbi Schwab lived, in Frankfurt, so you needed to get, to have money to pay for a train to go home for Yantif. And Rabbi Schwab didn't have the money, so he borrowed it from Yerucham. I guess uh, his parents were going to give it back to him for the, you know, on the way back, and to return it to Rabbi Yerucham. So Rav Schwab went in and asked him to uh, ask to borrow money. He gave him the money that he asked for, and then Rav uh, and then Rav Schwab said, "Thank you very much." You know, after he borrowed the money, so Rav Yerucham started lacing into him. He gave him such a mishaberach. He said, "He says you Yekisha bacher, you German Jewish bacher." He says, with your etiquette, you know, the Germans are always like very nice and, you know, well-mannered, polite, dignified. You know that there's halacha that you're not supposed to say thank you when you borrow money. It's ribis devarim, like, you're just like you can't pay interest on the money. You also can't even say thank you when you're borrowing money. He says, but you're Yekesh you feel that etiquette, saying thank you, overrides the halacha. And he's like going into him like, you know, Yekesh Bacher and there's a ribis and... You know, Rebus Devarim, and like on and on and on. And Rav like was turning all colors, and he was like, he took it, and he was respectful, of course. And then, uh, anyway, he came back after Yantav, he returned the money, he didn't say anything. The next Yantav rolls around, and Rav goes back to Rabbi Rucham and asks to borrow money again for the trip home. So Rabbi Rucham uh, gives him the money, and Rav takes the money, and just, you know, turns, makes a U-turn and goes out the door, like... You know, because he knows he's not supposed to say thank you to him. So now Rabbi Rucham starts screaming at him, you don't say thank you? He says, I, I lend you money and you don't even say thank you? So now Rav is really confused. So he said, you know, he says to him, I don't understand. He says, last time, you know, I came to the Meshkiach and borrowed money, I said thank you, and then I got a half hour tongue lashing about how, you know, how Mayaka Shabachar, etiquette trumps uh, and, and he says, now I didn't say thank you, I'm also getting a tongue lashing, what's going on? He says, you're right. He says, but I wanted to see the thank you on your face. So I didn't see the thank you on your face. You know, sometimes your face could say thank you, you might, your, your mouth doesn't have to say thank you, but sometimes your, your face should say thank you. So, so meaning, I told this story once to Ivan Schechter, and he loved it, and he says, he says, does haste fine-tuning, fine-tuning. You know what fine-tuning is? You don't know what fine-tuning is because you, you didn't grow up in my generation. The radio, very good. How do you know? How old are you? <laughs> so on the old-fashioned radios, before they went electric, before everything went digital, so the old-fashioned radios, you had like a, 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 a tuning, like a dial, Right? And, and you have to get it, like if you wanted to hear, let's say, uh, 1010 wins, it had to be exactly on 1010. If it was on 1012 or 1009, then you, know, you wouldn't hear a clue. So you have to keep going back and forth until you get it perfect. That's called fine-tuning. So that's what, like, that's what Rabbi Yuchum was doing with Rav Schwab. He was being, he was being a Rebbe. He was show, you know, you have to, sometimes you've got to get the guy this, this way a little bit. That doesn't work. You've got to go back. You've got to go back and forth until you get it just right. And, you know, I think that's what he was doing here, is taking, 
European, Western European Bachrim, American Bachrim, uh, like us, and he was like trying to like train us to to basically understand things in the right hashkafic viewpoint. Don't always instinctively question Chazal. And, ah, how do you know? How does Chazal know this? Maybe Eleven was a good guy. Why do you right away? No, that's that's not the right. That's not what you're supposed to be thinking. Chazal say something, there's a reason for it. You don't like the reason, too bad on you. You gotta, you gotta recalibrate your own brain to understand that, that there is a, an element inside of us that's tame, and like that Navardika Dibuk that doesn't like any Kedusha. Now, most of us do like Kedusha, and, and 98% of us loves Kedusha. But don't be surprised if sometimes there's, you know, people that are a little bit troubled by Chazal and why they're doing this and why they're doing that, or there may be, you know, they're by the Pesach Seder and, and the Russia seems to be getting a really bad, uh, bad rap by the, by the Pesach Seder, Chacham, Tam, eh? but Russia is like, boom, Eshinov, Emerlai, and there's always somebody, or there's generally somebody that's politically correct and has a big problem with how you're, you know, he's a child and maybe he's a good child, you know, there's always something that we have to try to always, like, defend. And sometimes there's room for defending. You know, sometimes there's, there, it's an importance to understand that there actually is Ra in the world, and we don't always have to instinctively try to make it nice. Sometimes it's good, like Rav says, to keep a contrast and to make you know, bad people bad and good people good. Because to automatically, instinctively, always... Uh, Probably very good. He's probably good, but you know, just uh, had a had a rough childhood or something. That's not. That might be true, but that's not. That's still by doing that, by making the bad people good, it's uh, it's doing ourselves a disservice. Sometimes it's okay to have to have real stark contrast between good and evil. Meaning there's no cost when it comes to these kind of... Right. No, you don't have to be down the everybody. There are people that you do, but then most people you should. But if it's a person that's bad, so, so let them be bad. There's nothing wrong with, with saying that somebody's bad. There's, that's good sometimes. It's good to say somebody's bad because that means I'll keep away from them. If you think, well, maybe it's good, just a little misguided, then you're going to be attracted to everything that you shouldn't be attracted to. Sometimes it's important to be a kanai, if you will, somebody that's like zealous protective of, of good in the world, good for myself. I, 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 can't be, I, I can't be near everybody. Not everybody is good for me. Sometimes I have to make offense for myself and I can't be near people. Now, if it's your parents, if it's people that, you know, then you have to ask a gadol what to do if it's, you know, but, but I'm talking about people that are around. It might be a roommate. It might be a guy that you went to yeshiva with. It might be a, somebody down the block from you. But there are people that are, in, that are just not, they're not good. They're just not good, and, and you have to make, make it your business to not always try to say, well, but maybe they're really fun. No, sometimes, sometimes it's okay to say, I don't want that person in my life. That person is really not good for me. When I'm around that person, I don't feel good about myself. I don't feel that they bring out the best in me. I feel I, I, I don't recognize myself. I don't like myself when I'm with those people. And when that happens, so that's fine. That, that, that's part of maturity. I, I get to choose who I want to be close with and who I want to have nothing to do with. Being a from Jew does not mean that you have to love everybody, and it doesn't mean that you have to embrace everybody. It means you have to be very selective in people that you can have a positive influence on, people that you feel will be a positive influence for you, but at the same time, people that are, are not good, 
you have to try to distance because they could literally uh, destroy one's life. Okay, everybody, so we'll stop.